Didn't the school choir do an outstanding job? Amen. What a blessing that was, and thank you so much. And pray for the Children's Church Director. They has a lot of energy back there to deal with tonight. All right, have your Bibles again. Keep them open at Joshua chapter 4. On Sunday nights, we've been doing a series of studies in the book of Joshua. In this particular incident, Joshua is now the commander of Israel. Moses has died. And this is the conclusion of the Israel's 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. And now he's ready to lead them into the promised land. But there's something dividing them between the wilderness and the promised land. It's called the Jordan River. And God gave instruction that the priest would carry the Ark of the Covenant and walk up to the Jordan River. As soon as their feet touched the Jordan River, the waters which flowed would heap up in a big pile and stop flowing and would allow the Israel to cross the Jordan River on dry ground. The priests, as they walked up the Jordan River, and as soon as they stepped in, the water stopped, and they walked out and stopped in the middle of the Jordan River. Then the people began to cross. There was over 2 million Jews at this time. Probably took quite some time to cross the other side. And once they got to the other side, God instructed here in chapter 4, he said, Joshua, take 12 men and go back to the center in the midst of the Jordan River where the priests are standing with the Ark of the Covenant and get 12 stones, one per tribe, and carry them on their shoulders. They were not small stones, not pebbles. Evidently, they were huge stones. Carry them on their shoulder and take them over to the place you're going to camp on the other side of the Jordan River, now in the Promised Land. And it, and it concluded, if you notice there in the latter part of verse 7, it said that these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. So tonight I'd like to talk about the erecting of memorials, the importance of Christians erecting memorials in their life. Why did God command Joshua to erect a stone monument to the crossing of the Jordan River? When they, once they camped, when they crossed the Jordan River, they camped in Gilgal, and they took these stones and piled them up in a monument. In fact, we did not see it there. Joshua also went back to the Jordan River, where the priests were in the midst of the river, and also stacked 12 stones in the midst of the river. So there are 12 stones in the midst of the river, 12 stones in the uh, place they uh, camped that night. But the question is, why did they do that? Why did God instruct them to uh, set up a stone monument? Let me give you four reasons tonight. I hope you write them down. I hope you, when you came in tonight, hopefully many of you received a handout for tonight's study. If you did, I encourage you to write that down. It'd be on the screen there. The reasons for the stone monument, first of all, letter A, it would help God's people not to forget what God did for them. It would help God's people not to forget what God did for them. If you notice again in chapter 4, in verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7, it said in verse 7, Then you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it passes over the Jordan River, they be cut off. These stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. The word memorial means a memento, a reminder, remembrance. So basically, once they're in the promised land, when they saw that stack of stones piled up high, it would be a constant reminder to them what God did for them in a supernatural way to part the Jordan River and allow them to cross over. 
and the reason why Israel was so soon to forget. And you say, boy, of all the things Israel went through, how could they forget? You know, my friend, you and I are the same way. We are easily so soon to forget what God does for us. If you would, hold your finger right here. Look in Psalm chapter 78, please. Hold your finger on Joshua. The reason God instructed them to pile up stones as a memento, a reminder of what God did for them in a supernatural way. They were going to the promised land where there were many enemies, many people that had to fight and battle and conquering the promised land. And he did that to remind them what God can do. If God can part a Red Sea, if he can pile up water in the Jordan River, he can do anything. He's a powerful God. In Psalm 78, verse 11, please. Psalm 78, verse 11. And notice what it says about Israel here. Psalm 78, verse 11. It says, and forgot what? His works and his wonders that he showed to them. So even though God did so much for the children of Israel, they forgot. Go now to Psalm 106, please. Psalm 106. We see again here David mentions how Israel forgot what God had done for them. Psalm 106 in verse 7. Thank you for turning with me. One of the sweet sounds to a pastor's ears is the turning of the pages in the Bible and that you will see what God says here. Psalm 107, verse 6, 106, verse 7, excuse me. Our fathers understood not the wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the Red Sea, even the, the, the sea, even the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them by his, for his namesake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. Verse 9, he rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths and through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy, talking about the Egyptians. And the waters covered the enemies. There was not one of them left. It says they believed, then believed they his words and sang his praise. But read the next verse, verse 13. They what? Soon forgot, forget his works. They waited not for his counsel. Look down to verse 21. They forgot God their Savior, which, they, which had done great works in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, terrible things in, in the Red Sea. In other words, there were times they were believing what God did and praised his name, and guess what? In the midst of all that, they forgot what God had done. My friend, we're no different today. We get so busy in doing our everyday life, we forget what God's done for us. All his blessings, his goodness to us, just like Israel, they forgot God's uh, wonderful works. The second reason why uh, they, they, he did not for them not to forget what God did for them is because of the proneness to forget. We too should establish memorials. Because of our proneness to forget, we too should establish memorials. Go with me now to Deuteronomy, please. The book of Deuteronomy. Say, where's that at, Pastor? You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book of your Bible, the fifth book of the book of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Just like God instructed Israel to build up a monument to remind them of his wonderful works he did for them, 
because of our proneness to forget, we too should establish memorials, may I use word mementos, things to help us remember. Deuteronomy chapter 6 in verse 8, please. Deuteronomy 6, verse 8. He's encouraging Israel to do something to help them remember. Deuteronomy 6, verse 8. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be frontless between thy eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy, talking about God's word, his commandments, on the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, verse 11, and houses full of good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, verse 12, then beware lest thou, what? Forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, from the, out of the house of bondage. So when are God's people so prone to forget? Notice here, it's the midst of prosperity. He says when they, God promised them a house, promised them wells, he promised them a land, and in the midst of all that, enjoying all that, they soon forgot. And my friend, you know, that reminds me of America. God's blessed our country in a tremendous way. And how we've prospered America, but has not our country forgotten God? If you do a study on the history of America, our country is built upon the principles of God's word, built upon the teaching of God's word. But now it's against the law to even teach God's word in public schools. They can't even pray to God in public schools. We've completely forgot God, and it's a midst of our prosperity that we did that. It's the midst of Israel's prosperity that they were soon forgot. So God warns us, lest, beware, lest you also forget. What are some mementos that we can establish in our lives? Let me tell you some things my wife has done to help us remember uh, what's God done in our lives and, and the ministries. She's put together, we got several hardbound books of mission trips our church has taken. And they're beautiful pictures. We got several of them. We've taken, she's taken many mission trips. And these remind us of the trip. It also reminds us what God did in a mighty way during these mission trips. They're constant reminders. We can, as many times when I uh, kind of want to relax a little bit, I go pick out one of these books and I look at a, a trip they took to uh, some other country. And just as a reminder, memorial what God did for the people of First Baptist Church uh, in other countries. Another book she's recently done, if you remember just earlier last year, like it was this year, the church sent my wife and I to Australia and New Zealand to celebrate our 40th anniversary here. And she's put together a book of that trip. And again, to help us remember all that went on, but also as a constant reminder of God's blessing upon us. And I encourage you to establish some mementos in your family as a reminder. Many times when we get thank you cards from people, how God used us to be a blessing to them, we save them many times and read them over and over again as a reminder of God's blessing. And I encourage you, whatever means that you want to establish some memento, do that. I'm not saying pop a, a pile of stones in the middle of your floor in your living room, <laughs> but do something to remind you of what God has done for you. Why? Because we are so soon to forget. So the first reason why Israel, God told Israel to build st stone monuments to help the people remember 
not forget what God did for them. Number two, it would deepen their confidence in God. It would deepen their confidence in God. They could trust him for future deliverances. Remember, they were going in the promised land, going to the land where there would be many battles, many uh, fights against the enemies, and he wanted to remind them what he did for them, he would continue to do for them. For example, remember David when he was a young man, when Goliath came out and confronted Israel? All Israel, the armies of Israel, were afraid of this man. If you do a study of this man, Goliath was over nine foot tall, and it said all the armies of Israel just shook because of fear of this man. And when David saw that, David, uh, because of past victories in his life, he confronted that giant with boldness. David's victory over the bear and over lion gave him confidence to go against Goliath. If you would please go now to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, please, chapter 17. If you visit with us tonight, you say, Pastor, this church really uses the Bible. Yes, we do. We believe the Bible. We believe it is God's word from cover to cover, and we use it every single service. In 1 Samuel, you say, where's that at, Pastor? That's right before 2 Samuel, if that's helpful to you. 1 Samuel, chapter 17. I can remember a time when I first started learning the Bible. I did not know where the books of the Bible were. So I found a little secret to help me find them. It was called the Table of Contents. In the front of your Bible, it tells you exactly what page number 1 Samuel is. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I want you to notice we're going to see what gave David such boldness, such confidence to confront a man that all Israel was afraid of. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 33, And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. Verse 34, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after them, and smote him, delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I called him by the beard, I smote him, and slew him. Verse 36, Thy, day, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing that he hath defied the armies of Israel. Verse 37, his key verse. David said, Moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion, and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. In other words, because of past victories, David had boldness to confront this giant. And what God was doing by building a monument as a reminder of God's what did for them, as they approached now their enemies in the promised land, he said, look what God did back there. He parted the Red Sea and drowned all the Egyptian army. He parted the uh, uh, Jordan River. Look, and because of these past victories, he, you can have confidence in future uh, uh, deliverances. Letter C. Let me give you the third reason why he told them to build up stone monuments. The first one, to remember what God did for them, to deepen their confidence in God. And letter C, the third reason, it would create opportunities to teach their children. It would create opportunities to teach their children. Look again in Joshua chapter 4. If you go back to where we began, now you're saying, Pastor, I let that book go. It took me a while to find it, and now I've got to go back to it. 
But if you would go back to Joshua chapter 4, please, in the scripture we read together. He talks about after they will build these monuments, when the children saw it, they could use it as an opportunity to teach God's faithfulness and power to their children. Joshua chapter 4, verse 6, please. Joshua 4, verse 6. That this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in the time to come, saying, what mean ye these, by these stones? Why are these stones, this monument here? Verse 7. Then you shall answer them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passes over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. In other words, use this as an opportunity to teach your children. Skip down to verse 20, please. The instruction is repeated to use this monument as an opportunity to teach your children what God has done for his people. Verse 20. And those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. Verse 21, he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask your fathers in the time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Verse 22, then you shall let your children know. So when you establish monuments or some kind of mementos in your house, and your children say, Hey, Mom or Dad, what is that for? What does that mean? You can use an opportunity to teach what God's done for you and what, how God has, uh, did something special for you, your family. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, let me read this for you. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. So only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thy eyes have seen, lest thou, let they depart from thy heart and the days of thy life, and, but teach them to thy sons and thy sons' sons. In other words, when we have these mementos in our house, our family, and your children see them and say, Mom and Dad, what's that for? What an opportunity to tell them what God did for you as a reminder for you and also an opportunity to teach your children. Because it's something we must never forget. Listen carefully, please. We must never forget that apostasy, the idea of a person abandoning God, is possible only one generation away. Apostasy. Is it possible? Your children, your grandchildren, is possible for them to abandon, to leave anything to do with God only one generation away. You in the book of Joshua, go now to the book of Judges, please. Let me show you this. Judges chapter 2. The apostasy, again, the idea of people turning their back on God is possible only one generation away. In Joshua chapter 2, please. I'm sorry, not Joshua. Judges. Judges chapter 2. Interesting, when I miss a quote, a, a book of the Bible, I see all kind of funny faces looking at me. So that's a good reminder to me that I said something wrong. But we're not in Joshua, in Judges chapter 2. Look in verse 7, please. It says, the people served the Lord all the days of who? Of Joshua. And all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Verse 10. And also all the generation that gathered unto their fathers. It goes on to say, and there arose another generation after them, notice here, which knew 
not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. They forsook the Lord their God, their fathers, which had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And notice here, and followed, it says here, other gods, the gods of the people that round about them. Because Israel had forgot to teach their children, the next generation turned their back on God. So we ought to establish mementos in our lives as a family to remind us what God's done for us, to give us a confidence in what he did in the past, he'll do in the future, also as a reason to teach your children. Because if you do not teach your children, it's possible for the next generation to turn their back on God. As a church, as a school, we're grateful to have your children in our Christian school. That means God and his word is important to you, that you pay the extra money to put in private education, Christian education, when you could put them in a public school for free because you want your children to know God and his word. But if you as a parent fail to teach God's word to your children, the next generation will not know God. And so we need to be careful and not forget that apostasy is possible only one generation later. We're talking about the reason for stone monuments. Let me give them to you again. Number one, it would help God's people not to forget what God did for them. It would deepen their confidence in God. It would create opportunities to teach their children. And the fourth reason, number four, it would provide opportunities to tell others. It would provide opportunities to tell others. Tell others of the power and the goodness of God. Go back to Joshua, please. Joshua chapter 4. After he told them to do all this, notice what he concluded in verse 24 why they would set monuments, why they teach your children. Joshua 4.24 says that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you might fear the Lord your God forever. So use it as an opportunity to teach your children, but also an opportunity to tell others of God's power and goodness. Look, if you look on the screen, let me give you some Bible verses. In 1 Chronicles 16, 24, it tells us as God's people, declare his glory among the what? By the way, who's the heathen? <laughs> it's those that know not Christ. How many would agree there's many heathen in America? You know, my wife runs a ministry called the Blast Kid Club for Kids. It's in uh, two different schools, public schools in our uh, local here, Connerton and Sanders, and the school's out. They allow us to come and teach the Bible. And it's amazing how many kids do not have the idea of the Bible. Some of them do not know what Jesus Christ has done for them. Here in America, do not know what Jesus Christ has done for them. Do not know the stories of the Bible. Our, our country is full of, may I use the word, heathen. But my, this ministry gives us opportunity to share with them the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and many of the children are trusting Christ as their Savior. But it tells us here, declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. So it's our responsibility as God's people to declare God's glory to the unsaved. Another verse, Psalm 107, verse 22. It says, let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving and declare his works with what? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Can I give you a simple way that you can uh, declare the, uh, God 
and his marvelous works among the unsaved. A very simple way. When you go out to eat, right before you eat, do you bow for a word of prayer? Do you take time to acknowledge the food come from God and thank him for it? It's amazing. You know, some time ago, you used to see that quite often in, in restaurants. You don't see it much anymore. So a way to do that, when you gather together, when the food's brought to your table, to stop, bow your head, and pray. I want to guarantee you, people are watching. And, and pray. Thank God for the provision he gave to you. What a way to give testimony to the unsaved world of God's blessing and provision for you. Hebrews 13, 15 says this. And by him, let, so therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, the giving of thanks to his name. One way you can proclaim God and his marvelous works to others is by being thankful. And you maybe work among the unsaved. Do you ever publicly to your unsaved fellow employees and neighbors, do you ever say, boy, I thank God what he's done for me. God's been so good to me. And begin to give thanks to God for his blessings in your life. What a way to declare the glory of God among the heathen by just being thankful and expressing that among those who are not saved. All right, we're talking about the reasons for monuments. Let me go over with you again, then I go to the next point. The reason why God told Israel to establish monuments to help them, the God's people not forget what he did for them. It would deepen their confidence in God. It would create opportunities to teach children. It would provide opportunities to tell others about what God's done. So let's go on to the next point, the time we have left. Let me give you the nature and character of the monuments. What would these monuments look like? He told them to go out to the middle of the Jordan River and pick up what? Stones. And they were big stones, had to carry them on their shoulders. And then they piled them up as a monument in the first place they camped in the Promised Land. I want you to notice something. These monuments were simple, plain, ordinary, nothing fancy, nothing special stones. They did not carve something, uh, make them look elaborate and fancy. They were simple, everyday stones. They piled up that God used it to remind his people what he did for them. It shows how different God's thoughts and ways are from man's ways. It shows how different God's thoughts and his ways from those of men. Interesting, many times churches, when they build a church, may, uh, will build elaborate facilities. And, and pour thousands of millions of dollars in a church facility. And, and uh, uh, sometimes they overdo it. Sometimes they use, do you remember what was called the uh, Crystal Cathedral out in California? Where the pastor was called Garden Grove, California. The pastor was Robert Schuler. It was built in 1977, started to be built and completed in 1980. At that time, it cost $18 million, with today, equivalent today to $64 million today. To build a church building costing $64 million. Later on, the uh, ministry of the Christian Cathedral filed for bankruptcy in 2010. In 2012, it was sold to the Catholic Church. It was sold for $57 million, which is equivalent to $75 million. 
I'm not against a church looking nice. And I'm so grateful when we remodel this church how nice it looks. But you know, some churches go overboard. Would you agree with that? They spend millions of dollars on something, and they say, I'm doing it for the Lord. And my thought was, I wonder how many missionaries you could support for $64 million. I wonder how many people you could tell the gospel of Christ out of that kind of money. So again, that's my opinion. When God uses something, he doesn't necessarily use something that's very elaborate and special. He used flat, ordinary gray stones as a reminder of what he did in the life of his people. Let me show you another thing he does. Go with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. When God used plain, simple, ordinary stones as a monument to what he did for Israel, it shows how God's ways are different from man's ways. As you're turning to 1 Corinthians, a verse I did not quote for you, I think it was on the screen, in Isaiah 55, verse 8, God said, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heaven are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so many people thought, why didn't they elaborate something special as a reminder of God's uh, power, and yet he used simple, ordinary stones? Let me share this with you. How about us today? What kind of people does God use for his service? Do we have to have special talents, special abilities, intelligence? Do we have to be good-looking in order for God to use us? Many times, people approach the ministry with the standards of this world. What the world thinks is important to be useful. But I want you to notice something. God, here it shows God uses simple, plain, ordinary people. Nothing fancy, nothing special. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look who God uses for his power and glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He says, for you see your calling, brethren. This calling is not the calling of salvation. It's the calling to service to those who are saved. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise, that means intelligent, men after the flesh, not many mighty, means those that are talented, not many noble, those that are special in man's eyes are called. But verse 27, but God hath chosen the what? The foolish things of this world. Read on. God chosen the weak things, verse 28, and the base things of this world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. Many Christians will not step out to serve the Lord because they think I don't have the ability. I don't have the talent. Didn't you enjoy the uh, pastor's uh, uh, self singing this morning, in this afternoon, this evening? And sometimes, well, I can't sing like that. God can't use me. Somebody say, well, I can't uh, have that personality. I don't have the intelligence. I don't have the looks. That is not what is important to God. Notice what God uses. He uses foolish. He uses the weak. He uses the base. Things which are despised, yea, the things which are not. It's the simple, everyday people that God uses the most. Someone said this. God uses the nothings to show himself to be something. God uses the nobodies to show himself to be somebody. So if we take the standards of the world and say, well, I have to be intelligent, good-looking, talented to be used of God, many of us will not even try. But my friend, what God uses is the nobodies, the simple people. That's what God uses. Why? In verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. 
that no one can take credit for how God used them because of some ability they had, but it's because of what God has done. Number three, and we'll wrap it up with this. Number three, I want to talk about the mighty power of God, something we should never forget. Has God changed? The God who parted the Red Sea, the God who raised up the water in the Jordan River, is that the same God we serve today? We, we should never forget we serve a mighty God. Back in Joshua chapter 4, verse 15, it said, in verse 15, the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, again, he says, command the priest that bear the ark of the testimony that they should come up out of the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priest, saying, come up out of the Jordan. In verse 18, it came to pass when the priest that bear the ark of the covenant will come up out of the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground that the waters of the Jordan returned into the place and flowed over all the banks as they did it. God made it clear this was not some natural means. This happened. If you remember the story, when the priests carrying the ark walked up to the Jordan River, as soon as their feet touched the water, what happened? The waters parted. The waters rose up in heap. As soon as they walked out of the Jordan River, as soon as their feet touched on dry ground, the waters went back. It was shown this was not some natural means. This was what God's doing. This is what God did to show his power among his people. My question is, has God changed? Can God still do supernatural things today? What problem in your life that you're going through you think God is too small to take care of? What difficulty are you experiencing now that you think God cannot help me with that? I want to share these couple of verses with you and we'll close. And God has not changed. Malachi 3, 6. God said, for I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus, saith, Jesus Christ said this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God, the part of the Red Sea, the God that raised up the waters in the Jordan River, the God who did that is the same God we serve today. And so when you approach a problem that you cannot solve, and you wonder if God has the power to help you through that, remember what he did in the Old Testament and what he would do for you. Remember when Jesus was with his disciples in the boat? The disciples were fishing, and Jesus was in the bottom of the boat taking a nap. And a great storm come, so great that the waters began to cover the ship. The ship began almost to sink. And they went down to the bottom where Jesus was sleeping. And they said, Lord, care us not that we perish? How did he respond? He said, oh, ye fearful and lack of faith. And he said, peace be still. And the waters ceased. Brought peace to that. And how did the disciples respond? What manner of man is this? Even the waves of the sea will obey his voice. My friend, he's still God today. And the waves, the storms you may be going through in life, he can bring uh, that to an end if you trust him. Did you close your Bible? Let me close with this. Thank you again for coming tonight. When we have visitors in our church, it's always my desire as a pastor 
if anyone comes in the back doors of church and comes to service here, that they know for certain heavens are home. So let me ask you a question. I ask almost every service. Our church members probably know what I'm going to ask already. But if you're here tonight visible, let me ask you a question as I close our service. If you were to die today or 10 years from the day, do you know if you'd go to heaven? Do you know for certain you have forgiveness and eternal life? I can remember when I was first asked that. You know what my answer was? <laughs> I hope so. I think I will. But did I know for certain? I'd have to say, no, I don't. You know, the God of heaven does not want you to go through life hoping or guessing where you might spend eternity. He wants you to know that you have eternal life. Let me share quickly with you how you can know that. Many of you already know this. If you do, you may rejoice with me in the message of this, what's called the gospel. And if you have it, please listen carefully. There are five simple things a person must understand to go to heaven. And God made it simple that even a child can understand. Number one, the Bible says we're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what that means? When it says for all, that means me. That means you. We all have sinned. No one's perfect. We've all done things wrong. Number two, because we sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because we've broken God's laws, commandments, we've earned something from God. Wages of sin is death. We deserve his judgment, his wrath, because we've sinned against him. Number three, and this is where most people don't understand. Your good works, your good deeds won't pay for sin. Many people think good people go to heaven, bad people have to go to hell. So they're trying to be good, hopefully to earn God's favor, and, and hopefully be accepted in heaven. They think their good deeds will get them to heaven. My friend, nothing wrong with doing good, but doing good will not pay for your sin. And no matter how good you try to be, you can never be good enough because heaven's a perfect place and we're not perfect. So we're all sinners, we're all a penalty, and we cannot save ourselves. But here's the good news as I close. God loved you so much. He didn't want you to pay for your sin. You know what he did? He provided a substitute. He sent somebody to the church to pay the penalty for you. The Bible says God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we get sinners, you know what happened? Christ died for us. The penalty of sin that we've earned, we deserve from a holy God. Jesus paid for us. As our substitute, he died on the cross in your place to pay for your sin. He was buried and rose again. And then God says, number five, if you believe that when Christ died, he died for you and trust him to be your savior, that you would not perish, but you would have everlasting life. Just that simple. You know John 3, 16? Very common verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever goes to church and lives a good life should not perish. Does it say that? No, no it doesn't say that. How many of you believe that today? It said whosoever what? Believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our part is to believe, trust in what he's done for us. Let me close with this. I asked another person that same question. If you die today, we'll go to heaven. You know what his answer was? He said, Pastor, I'm working on it. And I continued talking to him. He said, I'm trying. And you know, I said to him, you need to quit trying and start trusting. You need to quit working and rely upon what Christ has done for you. The work of salvation was finished at the cross. And we go to heaven not by what we do, but rather what he did for us. And when we trust him and him alone as our means to heaven, 
God said, I forgive you and give eternal life. He said, Pastor, that's easy. Yes, it is easy because he did the hard part. He paid the price, finished the work, our part simply to trust. Have you trusted him as your Savior? If you have, heaven's your home. If you have not, why not do it tonight? Let's bow together, please. As the heads are bowed and eyes are closed, tonight I've been speaking to those of you that know Christ. And we saw the importance from God's word, the importance of establishing mementos and monuments in our lives to remind us what God's done for us. Because we are so prone to forget. Reminders of what God's done, his power and glory, to give us confidence to approach the future, opportunity to teach your children and to share with others what God's done for us. But maybe here tonight, and you're not even certain heaven's your home. You're not confident that if you die, that you'd go to heaven. My friend, before you leave the service, you can't have that confidence. You can trust Jesus Christ, your Savior, and the promise of God to you is eternal life. So if you've never done that before and would like to do it tonight, why not tell God that? Why not right where you sit in the quietness of your mind, talk to God and maybe say something like this. Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus was punished in my place. As my substitute, he died on the cross to pay for my sin. I believe he died for me. I believe he was buried. I believe he rose again. And right here tonight, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed. My friend, did that make sense to you? Did you trust Christ as your Savior here tonight? If you did, I'd like to know that. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I would like to know that so I can include you in my closing prayer. So one moment, one moment not right now, for those of you that trust Christ as Savior tonight, I'm going to ask you in one moment to raise your hand. Raise your hand doesn't save you. I want to pray for you. My prayer for you doesn't save you. Christ saved you and you trusted him. But it's allowed me to rejoice with you and pray for you tonight. So with heads bowed and eyes are closed, don't want to look around. If what I said made sense to you and you prayed to receive Christ as your Savior tonight, with heads bowed and eyes are closed, would you just simply raise your hand so I can pray for you? I can rejoice with anyone at all. Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ my Savior here tonight. Would you pray for me? No one at all. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you, which I hope that means that someone raised their hand that each one has already made that decision to trust you that heaven is their home, they have eternal life. Father, we thank you for our Christian school parents who entrusted their children to our school. What a great job they did singing praises to you tonight. And I pray, Father, that we as families, individuals, will establish mementos, monuments in our life to remind us of what God has done for us. Because we're so prone to forget, especially when being blessed and in the time of prosperity, we are so prone to forget what you've done for us. So, Father, help us not ever forget your wonders, your glories, and what you, the God that you are and what you can do for us in the future. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.